0: I'm sorry, I hadn't gotten over Caden yet. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, it is your desire to speak truth today. You've done it through song. You've done it through scripture reading. You've done it through prayer. And now you do it through sermon. And, Lord, it is my prayer. It is my prayer that what you say through me today is life-changing. In Jesus' name, amen. Sorry, if this is your first time, I don't usually cry. <laughs> it's okay to cry too, right guys? All right. Uh, I was 18 years old. I was at Clemson as a freshman thinking I was a Christian because I grew up in the church. And I did all the church stuff that you do in the United Methodist Church. I don't know what you you all did in your church, but in our church, they had you involved as early as possible, and you did everything and uh, I did all of that stuff and got all the um, paraphernalia that comes with that, including my offering envelopes when I became a member at twelve years old <laughs> i didn't know what an offering envelope was no I've watched my dad fill those many a time, um, but I don't know that I ever heard the gospel in church and I want to say I did and I just, it just didn't click for me. That's what I, I really want to say. But, um, I can't remember it. And then when I get to 18 years old, I'm at a Christian concert with my Christian friends because I think I'm a Christian and I'm active in the Baptist Student Union. Okay. At a Christian concert. And at the end of that concert, Um, Roger Braylon, the leader of this college band that tours all over the country, some of you may have heard of Truth, you may remember that band from way back. He shares the gospel at the end of the concert, which is why they tour, which is what they would do. They'd tour to university to university, and they would would share the gospel at the end. Now I'm sitting there thinking, um, this room is full of Christians, because who else would go to a Christian concert? And... um, and so we've got our, you know, it's every head bowed, every eye closed as we pray. And, and then they share, you know, respond by standing if you want to trust Christ. And the whole idea, at least I thought, the whole idea of every eye closed, every head bowed, every eye closed was that no one would see you making this decision. And so in my cowardly way, I stood knowing no one's going to see me stand and nobody saw me stand. I didn't even look. I'm not, that's not true. I did peek. Um, there were 10 of us in the whole room and I was shocked that the whole room wasn't standing because I didn't really understand quite what I was responding to um, until it just kind of began to become clear. I was making a first time decision for Christ. I was making the decision. It wasn't my parents' decision. they raised me in the church to get to this point, but they can't do that for me, right? I have to do that. And so I stand up And I'm looking around going, man, I'm glad our eyes aren't open until Roger says, okay, everybody open your eyes. I was so ticked off. Okay. That's not how you do an invitation, but God works and he's been working in and through me ever since and as perfect as I am. Now, here's the reason I share that story. I thought I was a Christian when I walked into that concert and I realized I hadn't been saved. I don't know that I'd ever heard that term, that phrase, when I got there. I really didn't know much about Christianity or church, other than what I'd learned in the United Methodist Church, which was plenty. I mean, I can make a Chrismon with the best of them, right? Y'all know what a Chrismon, how many of y'all know what a Chrismon is, right? The little Styrofoam Christmas ornaments we put on the tree. And, um, you know, the Advent wreath and all those things that we, we do. And all those things are designed to disciple you towards Christ. And they did. I got there. By the grace of God, I got there. But Jesus is going to wrap up the Sermon on the Mount, okay, chapters 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew, with really the answer to this question, how do you know if you're saved? How do you know that you're saved? Now, in 1 John, Jesus says, not Jesus, but John writes, These things I've written that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know. It's not something you just sit back and wonder. I wonder if I'm saved. I wonder if I'm a Christian, really. You don't have to wonder. You can know. In fact, if you don't know, where's the peace in that? Well, I hope I'm saved because Jesus is coming back or I'm dying or something. I hope that's settled. What I want to do today is make it very clear so that if that's a question for you, that you get a clear answer. The other reason I'm sharing it with you is because the very first words that Jesus is going to say in this passage we're about to read are terrifying, whether you're a Christian or not, because it makes you wonder, am I? Because I don't want this to happen to me. So let me read it, and you'll see what I'm talking about. So we're going to start in verse 21, and I'm so sorry. Okay, Uh, let's start reading in verse 21. Remember, this is the Sermon on the Mount, one of the first of five major teachings of Jesus in the book of Matthew. Remember, Matthew is one of the 12 followers of Jesus, the original disciples, and uh, the Sermon on the Mount is basically all words of Jesus. If you have a words in red version of the Bible, then all these words are read except for the last two in this section. I'm going to read the 21 through 23 first. Jesus says, to end things out, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name, drive out demons, and in your name, perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So, so this is part one of two. Part one of two today. Okay. This is answering that question. How do I know if I'm a Christian? How do I know if I'm saved? Part one. Jesus is going to address somebody that might come up to him and ask this question who maybe has made a profession of faith or confessed Christ in in a pretty, I would say, impressive way, honestly. If someone came up to me and said all of these things, I would go, well, clearly you're a Christian. And Jesus is going to say, not necessarily. Honestly, the the, the reason I think this is important is because a lot of us struggle with how people have lived in the church, things we've seen in church. If you've been in the church for more than five years, you've seen some things. And when you see things that happen and you go, if they were a Christian, would they really have done that? This is going to answer some of those questions in this way. They weren't really. And the reason, you just watch, as we walk through this, I think you'll get the drift of that. So this person comes up and it says, first of all, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's terrifying, okay? I, I want that settled. I don't want to be wondering, and I don't think you want to be wondering either. He says, Then he says this, but only the ones who who do the will of my Father who is in heaven, okay? That's the answer, but we're going to come back to that. Verse next, many will say to me on that day, and he says not a few, but many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, so Lord is a very nice way of saying sir. Obviously, you can say yes, sir. It's a very polite response, but Lord also can and does mean in this case an an address of the divine, master, master. King, but not just master, but king of kings. Okay, so this is referencing even Jesus. This person recognizes that Jesus is the king of kings, that he is divine son of God. Okay, so, so far, that's pretty impressive right there. If you just said, yep, I believe Jesus is the king of kings. He's creator and savior and redeemer. And I, I believe that's good enough for me. If I take people at face value and they say that, I'm going to assume they mean that. But there's more. And he says, then they come back. And many will say to me on that day, "Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not, in your name, perform many miracles?" Now, to me, that's like um, in baseball, what is it, hitting for the cycle when you do three awesome things? And in, in basketball, there's a term when you when you are the top scorer, rebounder, and turnovers. Or, this is that, okay? Prophecy. What is to prophesy is to tell the truth. Whether it's about the present or the future, it's to tell the truth. Okay, It's to tell, proclaim God's word. That's pretty impressive. Um, number two, we've got someone who's casting out demons. I don't know about you, but I've not done that that I know of, at least. I've tried, but I don't know that I've ever done that because I'm not sure I've ever seen a demon, though I believe they are real and exist and they are in our world. So this is impressive on, on a couple more levels. And then many miracles. Not just a miracle. Many miracles. And I've prayed and seen people healed, but it has not been many, and it has not been common, and it has not been dramatic. And this person is is all three. So he's like, well, how is this person not a Christian? And Jesus says, he tells us, then I will tell them plainly, this is why you're not born again. This is why you're not saved. I never knew you. I don't have a relationship with you. You check all the doctrinal boxes. You you help and do things in church. You attend. You serve. You even come on days when it's not Sunday. You go to Sunday school. You help with the food pantry. Fill in the blank with whatever good things we could do in the name of Jesus. All these were done in the name of Jesus. And Jesus says, I never knew you. This is the Christian. And I think in some cases, people like I was who grow up in the church and have done everything that has been asked of them and more. They've been a good person. They've been a good Christian, but that, that connection from the head knowledge to the heart has never been made. That's what happened to me as a freshman when I heard the gospel presented. I realized, oh, that's something I've not done. That's, that's not just something i do. That's not really doing anything, is it? I just believe it or I don't. And that's the essence of the Christian faith. To be saved is to believe rightly that Jesus is who he said he was and he's going to do all he's promised to do. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. This reminds us there's no middle ground. You're either an enemy of God or a child of God. Last two weeks we've talked about broad is the road that leads to destruction. This is just a few verses forward, a back. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many are on that road. Few, narrow is the way that leads to life, and few find it. And we said that we all start on this road. We all start on this road. That's why in John 3, when it says Jesus did not to condemn the world, he says that we're already condemned. We're already on this road, and the only way we miss this road is if we repent and believe that this is the better way. Not just better way. It is the way and the truth and the life through Jesus to the Father. Okay? So you can see why this is going to make people quake. If you're paying attention and you care about your soul reading this verse makes you quake, whether you're a Christian or not. Now, ultimately, Christians, true Christians in the room, we shouldn't be afraid of this verse. We should be grateful that it's there to keep us um, sober-minded about our faith, okay? Not because you can lose it. I don't believe you can lose it if it's genuinely there in the first place. I don't think I can be unborn again any more than I can be unborn, Okay? Assumes that you are the real deal. Assumes that you have crossed that line where you don't just have a head knowledge, but you have a heart experiential relationship where you've been reconciled to God and he's been reconciled to you. Because when Jesus says, I never knew you, what he is also saying is, you don't know me. Because Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves in one sense. He created us. But he doesn't know us in a relational sense until we willingly respond to his invitation, to his calling. We've even said that in one place that calling is a command. When we respond to Christ calling us, come and see, come and follow, and eventually come and die. When we respond to that, we do so because we trust him. Last week we said because we believe he's good, because we believe he's able, and therefore he's trustworthy. Okay? When we... Believe that we act on that. Okay, just like a little child, when that child believes its its father or mother is is going to take care of them, they just you know the kid on the side of the pool, pool believing that mom's going to catch him, he jumps. Okay, and yet yeah, takes a little courage, but it ultimately requires belief that she's going to catch me, that she's good and wants to catch me, that she's able to catch me, therefore she's trustworthy. Now, I know sometimes our kids stand on the side of the pool and still don't jump, and it makes us very sad, okay, when they don't do that. But you know what? That's the reason. They don't quite trust that you're either willing to catch them or able to catch them. And the fear of the world is going to make us really challenge us in that and give us that crisis of faith. All right? Now, Jesus is going to answer this question a second time, and I'll tie it all up when I finish this part. Therefore, verse 24, Therefore, now, you can say this with me. I've said it so many times. Whenever you see the word therefore, you always ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? And the reason it's there is to remind us that chapters 5, 6, and 7 all lead up to this conclusion. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm wrapping this up. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. Because it all ends up here. So what did we... We need to kind of remember, what is chapters 5, 6, and 7? This is Jesus' kingdom manifesto. He is telling us what it means to be a kingdom citizen. It's the Beatitudes, the beautiful attitudes. And what does a person like that live? How do they live in the, as a kingdom citizen? You're salt and light in a world that's decaying and dark. You're following the law of the Lord, but not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. And you're recognizing that the standard is so high. I have to meet, I have to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Well, I can't do that. And Jesus is like, okay, you're catching on. And then it continues and it walks us through how important it is uh, to do things like pray. Uh, and fast, and give to the needy, and stop worrying, and quit being materialistic, and stop judging others as a judgmental person, judge with wisdom and discernment, with no plank in your eye. Watch out for the wolves that are dressed as sheep, and the narrow and the broad way, and all these things. He brings it together and saying, this is how you walk through the, through life as a kingdom citizen. But he's saying, if you don't get this last point, you won't do any of that. And you won't be getting it, and you will be the one that he says I never knew you. So, here's the key. All right, he does it. He uses a simile. So, you know the difference between a metaphor and a simile? I learned this in eighth grade. Okay, ninth grade. Okay, so a metaphor and a simile are really the same thing, except a simile uses like or as. English teacher, did I pass? Am I? Yes, I got a thumbs up. Okay, all right. Simile uses the word like or as. Otherwise, it's the same thing, which I'm like, what's the big deal? But anyway, um, I know it's important. I know that like and as. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall. Why? It tells us why. Because it had its foundation on the rock. We'll come back to that. Contrast it with, with man number two. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came, the streams rose, the wind blew, and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Two men in the same place build the same house, and the same house experiences the same weather. Violent, vicious storms. Okay. Now, I have said in the past when I've preached this, I have said the storms of life, right? We have the storms of life. And if you want your life to weather the storms of life, then you need to do what the wise man does, not what the foolish man does. Build your house on the rock. And that's true. And that's good. And that's not his point. Okay? We always look at it within context. What did Jesus just finish talking about? And even last week when we preached, what was he talking about? He was talking about judgment day when the Lord returns. When we stand face to face with our creator, and make no mistake, he's coming back, and we will stand before our creator and answer for how we lived, okay? So when he says this, he's talking about that day, okay? So what's the difference in these two guys, okay? Well, one builds his house on a rock foundation, and one builds his house on sand in in the simile, okay? So what does rock symbolize? Okay, so we know that the man symbolizes people. We know the house represents our lives, our faith, our soul. And we know that the storms represent judgment day. Okay, so what does the foundation represent? It represents whatever it is you're trusting get through judgment day. The foundation, I'm sorry, not the rock. The foundation represents what you're trusting in for your last day. When you die and go wherever... whatever it is you're banking on is the foundation you're building your life on, okay? And Jesus says there's really just two kinds of foundations. There's one that's built on rock, which Jesus says, if it's the rock that I am telling you about, it's not going to move. And if you build it on anything else, it's sand. And what erodes sand but water, wind, okay? Storms of life. All right. So what's the rock? Okay, we, you can look at it in the Old Testament. You can look at it in the New Testament. Jesus is always referred to as, oftentimes referred to as a rock. Sometimes it's a capstone. Sometimes it's a cornerstone. Sometimes it's a keystone. Sometimes it's just the rock. Um, but I will I'll, I'll tell you about, you can turn there if you want, but Matthew 16, verses, right around verse 18, Jesus confronts his disciples. And he goes up to them and he says, who do people say that I am? which is a great question for you and I. Who do people say that I am? And they say, I don't know. Some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people think you're you're Elijah, one of the prophets. And then Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Now, these are the disciples who've been walking with him. They've watched him do the miracles he's done. They've watched and listened to his teaching and preaching. They've been with him long enough to know, this guy's not normal. All right. And what is happen- what happens when he asks the question, who do you say that I am? Peter, who is almost always quick to speak and slow to listen, but I love his faith, and he almost jumps out of his skin to say, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Christ, Messiah mean the same thing. Anointed one, Jesus is prophet, priest, and king, and all three of those required an anointing. Okay. The Jews were waiting for this coming Messiah, who was going to lead them out from underneath their captivity, their enslavement, and that they were thinking very worldly. But they also knew this guy was going to be another level above David, King David, who he was in the line of, is in the line of, and so they knew he was going to be something special. And and Jesus says to Peter, actually he's Simon at the time, Simon son of Barjona, which means son of Jonah. He says. Um, no, basically no one on earth has told you this because basically he's saying no one on earth realizes this, but my heavenly father revealed it to you. Okay. So he's saying you're right and you heard it from God. Okay. And then Jesus says, and now because of that, I'm going to build my church. Okay. So who builds the church? Jesus Christ builds the church. That's right. We make disciples, he builds the church, okay? That doesn't mean we don't plant churches, but remember who really builds the church, okay? He doesn't say, and you will build a crowd of people through uh, direct mail. He doesn't say that. I will build my church. And he says, I will build my church on you. He renamed Simon Peter, which means rock. And he says, and on this rock... I will build my church, which sounds like he's building him on, building the church on Peter, doesn't it? Peter means rock. I'm building my church on the rock. And this is where the Pope comes from because they put those two together. Okay. The word for Peter's name rock is actually means pebble. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Pebble. Okay. And The rock he uses when he says, and on this rock is Petra. Anybody remember the old Christian band Petra? Yeah, all right. There's some people know how to rock out with the the old stuff. Okay. There's a difference between a pebble and a Petra is like a rock monument, granite, massive. Okay. It's not going to move. Pebble. We can take and throw it against the window and it won't even break, right? So there's a huge difference. So Jesus is saying, what is he saying? He's saying on this confession that Jesus that Peter just made, I'm building my church on that confession that Jesus is the rock that doesn't roll, okay? Jesus is the rock. So now go back to this, and he says uh, he built his house on the rock. The wise man built his house on the rock. And how did he do that? And he tells us in this, and if you go back and you read it, you'll see that both of these men, Both the wise man and the foolish man hear the word. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, the foolish, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. Now you see the difference? They both hear the word. They're both sitting in church listening to sermons. And one's still a fool. So what's the difference? One practices and obeys the words that are spoken and the other one does not. Okay? James says, be a doer of the word. And uh, if you're not a doer of the word, you're deceiving yourself. Put it into practice. And so, what is Jesus saying? So, he says, then I will tell him plainly, remember we just read, I never knew you. How do we know if Jesus knows us? How do we know if we have that relationship? If we're doing two things that sound very much the same, because they're very similar. Practice the will of God and obey the word of God. Okay, They really are the same thing, just said two different ways. Because if you obey the word of God, you're doing the will of God. If you're doing the will of God, you're going to have to be doing the word of God, whether you know it or not. But it's a whole lot easier to do this if you know it but to know what it says is not enough. And this is where people get caught up. This is why we have atheists teaching New Testament classes in our secular universities. I know it's happened at Florida State. I know it's happened at the University of Chapel Hill. I don't know what other schools, but at some point they've had atheists teaching New Testament in in those colleges. Okay? You can know all about this book and and be lost and not know. Not even not know that you can know that you're not saved, okay? There's three kinds of people in this room. There's people here who, who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They know they're Christians. There's people in here who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and they don't know for sure that they're Christians. And we have some people in here that know they're not and are sure they're not at this point. It's those middle ones that concern me. Those of us who think we are Christians, but we're not sure, and maybe we're not. Jesus is saying, here's how you know. You practice the will of God. You obey the word of God as a pattern, not as the exception. Remember, these other people that he says, I never knew you, prophesying in his name, casting out demons in his name. Doing many miracles in His name. Okay, clearly there's a there's something they're missing that is fundamental, but not as dramatic as that. And it's a simple thing. Jesus knows me. This I mean, I have a relationship with Him. I talk to Him, and He speaks to me through His Spirit. Okay, I don't hear audible words, but I know because He speaks to my heart in a way that I know He's speaking to me, and it takes some getting. Used to recognizing that voice, just like when we, we used to use we used to use regular telephones with cords. I know that's weird, right? And and people would call, and we would say hello, and they would go, "How it's going? How's it going?" And if you recognize the voice, it's because you've been on the phone with them a lot. You recognize that voice. You didn't the first time necessarily, but after a while, your best friend. You don't ever introduce. You don't ever say, "This is so and so," because you know that voice. Okay. And that's the way it is with the Lord. When you talk and listen, you, you learn to hear his voice and respond. Okay. So that's, and then, and then Matthew ends up, Matthew gets the last word. He says the last two verses himself. He says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he had taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. The teachers of the law would have been like the scribes or the Pharisees. And what they would have done is they would have taught the Old Testament scriptures and they would have quoted Old Testament rabbis or, the, or Old Testament writings that were commentaries on the Old Testament. In other words, they were always pointing to someone else for their authority. Jesus is saying, I, I'm telling you this because I am the authority. Jesus says to you and I, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. He sends us with that authority. So if I quote somebody, it's not because I'm trying to leverage their authority. I'm just using that quote because it it helps paint a picture. The authority that is spoken when we preach the word is given to us from God himself. And when we point to this, this is the authority we, we look to. Okay. That's why these words have so much weight. Not because I'm saying them, but because the Lord has said them. Okay. We're not a Christian for what he can do for us. We are Christians because of what he's done for us. And that happened on the cross. And that's where we get this. That's where it all clicks. So we're going to have to we're going to respond and some of us are going to respond with gratitude because we we feel confirmed in our spirit that I've been living imperfectly though I am a pattern of my life is to practice the will of God and to obey the word of God. And if that's your testimony then praise the Lord that that's true for you. Okay? And if that's not true for you then ask yourself the question am I willing to do something that's probably not very comfortable? Am I willing to Do what Darren did, and I'm not going to ask you to stand up right here with every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm not going to do that. But I am going to ask you to do something. Because if you're unwilling to share what's true in this room, then you're never going to share it out there. Tell somebody. And I'm going to be standing right over there, and I hope you'll come tell me. If today you settle the question, how do I know if I'm saved? And today you answer the question, because today I gave my heart and life to Jesus. Not because I give him my heart because I surrender my life, because I believe. I believe he is good. I believe that he is able. Good wants to save me, able to save me. Therefore, he's trustworthy, and I can trust and put my whole life in him and let my whole life orbit around him as my Lord and Savior. If that's something that you would be willing to do today, I'm going to lead on a prayer in a minute, and I'm going to ask you just to make that the prayer of your heart. The prayer doesn't save you the faith that you are exercising when you pray that prayer, that faith is what saves you. And it doesn't take but a speck of faith in an infinite God to move mountains. And Yes, God can even save you. If he saved me, he can save you. All right, let's pray. Lord God, many of us in this room feel affirmed today that we know you, and that we'll never hear the words, I never knew you, because we practice your will and we obey your word. That's our pattern. It's not perfection. and We have a lot of room to grow, and we may have things to repent of even now, and we should do that. Because we know that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us and to purify us from all unrighteousness. And so, God, in that we rest. Lord, for those that are maybe in the room that have never trusted you as Lord and Savior, they don't know whether they're saved or not, I pray they settle that issue today and make it just clear, just settle it. And say, I'm going to ask Jesus to save my soul today. Lord, I especially pray for those who've been in church for many years because this is an incredibly humbling prayer to pray, first of all. But to have to do that when you've been a part of the church for so long, It's embarrassing a little bit. Lord, my prayer is that they would care about what you think way more than they care about what any of us think. Because at the end of the day, what you think is what matters. And that they would be willing to pray a prayer to you something like this. Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. That's why I've sinned. And I need your forgiveness. And so I pray in the name of Jesus, who died for my sins on the cross so that I could live without having to die for my own sins. I pray that you'd save my soul, that you would transform me into a new creation that is, that has not just the ability to do good things, but has a relationship with our creator and our redeemer the one who is buying back my life from the sin and death, shame and guilt, hell itself. Move me from the broad road to the narrow way. Give me the courage not only to profess this faith today publicly, but to share it with others and to walk in it daily. I repent of my sins and I turn to you fully today, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.